morning. We're starting a, a, a brand new conversation, a shift, uh, and we're talking about prayer. And if you've been around for several years, uh, many of you have, you know, every year um, we start with prayer as the center 21 days, regardless of what we call it. Uh, we've called it Epiphany and various things over the years. The central theme, though, is that we start with prayer, and, uh, and it's a great idea, and it's, a, it's something that we all need to be reminded of, and, and, and it's fantastic, and so uh, we'll continue to do it, obviously. Uh, the, the issue that I have, though, and it's to my own fault, is that typically we'll, we'll do three, four weeks, 21 days of prayer, and then we shift gears. And, uh, you know, we, I kind of forget that we should still be talking about prayer. And so uh, I, I'm putting this in front of you because... Uh, this is accountability here, uh, where we don't just talk about prayer as a conversation or a series, something that's marketable, a graphic, whatever, and then we move on. Prayer should be and, and will be at the center of everything that we do uh, through the year. And uh, we're working on this together, uh, meaning uh, we're not just praying individually, we're praying as a community. And so uh, even as recent as today, uh, we were in the meeting before the service with the band, and, and I was like, all right, let's go. And Taylor's like, no, hold on, will somebody pray? And so uh, it was a beautiful opportunity to keep me accountable because I keep moving with my head. And we're like, no, we have to pray, and not me pray, we pray. And so what I want us to do together as we move forward is I want us to spend time in prayer together. And we uh, talked last week, or I talked last week about Acts 2 being the basis for church growth. And just the, the, the scriptures teaching us that they gather together, the early church people gather together daily. And so I thought, well, what a good idea. Let's gather together daily. Uh, I'm here. Why shouldn't you be? So I thought, well, that's probably a little challenging, a little difficult for everybody to come here every day. Uh, but why can't we still gather daily? So one of the things that I want us to do, if you're able, is uh, I'm going to uh, have already created a, uh, a daily Zoom prayer gathering. So 9 a.m., Monday through Friday, I'm going to be on Zoom, and our sole purpose is to pray. So if you want to chit-chat or whatever, I'll be on five, ten minutes before, maybe hang out for a minute after. But our sole purpose, 9 a.m. to 9.30, 9.40, is to pray. And if you're not familiar with Zoom, uh, get familiar with it today because 9 a.m. is not going to be the time to get familiar with Zoom. Uh, we're going to pray. And so I'm inviting you to join me. So there's a couple of ways you can find this link. Uh, there are papers on all the tables with a QR code. If you're not familiar with QR codes, take your phone out, camera, scan it, uh, and, and it will give you the link to Zoom. Download it. It's a free application for whatever you have. Uh, if you don't have a device, let me know. I've got a couple of iPads around. Don't mind to loan you one. Uh, we want you to be a part of this. Because 9 a.m. is somewhat of a narrow time slot for people, uh, if you're working and you can't throw an earbud in, uh, we'll have another gathering at 6.30. So Emily's going to host that gathering at 6.30, and I'll send out a Zoom code for that later. You're going to get an email if you get emails from us today sometime around 2. It's going to be the Zoom code for the 9 a.m. I'll send out another one for the 6.30. Uh, so she's going to gather Monday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, so not Tuesdays. So we're going to attempt to gather daily, just as the early church did, with the sole intention of praying together, because I believe that prayer must be at the heart of all we do. It has to be something we place in front of everything. And if we don't know what to pray for, we pray about what to pray for. If we don't know when to pray, we pray about knowing when to pray, that prayer is not just a conversation that we'll have for 21 days, but I want it to permeate everything, because it's essential and as we petition God, we're asking him for the big things, the unimaginable things, the small things, the things that we never thought to ask for. And I believe that we've often been taught in our lives that everything's already been orchestrated. 
that the world has already been ordered and things can't be changed. And yet what I know about Christ through scripture is that he steps in and he changes situations and circumstances. There's a storm raging and Christ steps in and it calms. There are times and moments where when Jesus is present and we invite him into the situation, the situation changes. And I believe that God desires to do great things in you and through us. And the key to seeing that greatness is prayer. And, and we are working with, prayer, with God to determine the future. That's the definition that we have for prayer. Prayer is working with God to determine the future. Prayer is our part. The miraculous is God's part. We do our part. God is faithful to do his part. And in 2 Chronicles 7, it says, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their lands. This is what we need. This is what we must petition God for. Our land needs healing. Our sins need forgiving. And the pathway for that is that we have to humble ourselves, we have to pray, and we have to seek God's face. Meaning, it's time for us to become disciplined, focused people who are willing to bind together and and fight together to see our land healed. This is going to be a crazy year. This year's already started crazy without throwing all the wild things that have happened in the last seven days out. It's crazy, and it's going to get wilder, so it's that much more important that you and I begin to immerse ourselves in prayer. Prayer catapults us onto the frontier of spiritual life. It moves us. Prayer is a central discipline because it brings us into communion with God Almighty, that we have a creator, uh, a maker of heaven and earth, who desires to have communication with you and me, us. And he listens and he hears and he answers prayer. And the question that I keep coming back to, year after year, time after time, uh, is what if everyone prayed like you do? What if everyone in this church prayed like you did? Would our church be better? Would it be more spiritual? Would it be more focused? Would we see more answers to prayer? Or would we be struggling? The answer is not, will it be worse or will it be better? The answer is, it's time for all of us to move a little closer into prayer and to make it more of a priority that I believe we undervalue prayer in our everyday lives. Uh, many of us understand the importance of prayer when something's wrong, and there's nothing wrong with that. However, God wants to move us into understanding what daily communication with him looks like where we're not just uh, waiting for a crisis moment, but we're waking every day with the intention of talking to God, of communicating with him, and, and prayer is like any other work. We don't always feel like doing it. There's hardly a day where I come home and I go to the gym and I go, I want to do this. This is exciting, you know? Most days it's like, I don't really know, and then you get halfway in and you're like, I'm so glad I did this. Prayer is so much like that. We go, I don't know if I have time, or I don't know if I want to, and, and what I want to do is I want to move away from even the thought of should I or shouldn't I or can I or can I or do I feel like it or do I not feel like it. I want prayer to become this thing that is just so constant in our lives that it's not even something we think about whether we feel like it or not. There are prayers like breath prayers. I've become uh, quite fascinated over the last year or two with breath prayers. Just a simple, very quick breathing in, saying words uh, of affirmation towards God and scripture, and then breathing out with the same words, and and just simple, quick prayers. I I love written prayers. I I like finding uh, prayers. I've got books in my office that have prayers for the first fire you put in your fireplace to, you know, before surgery and on and on. But I love just daily communication as well. What does it look like for us to just start communicating with God on a regular basis, finding space and time in our natural daily rhythms and routines where we're just talking to God, that when prayer becomes important enough to us, 
It won't be something that we contemplate anymore. It'll just be part of our daily activity and really become a habit. The word habit often gets a bad reputation, but it's not a bad thing to create spiritual habits that help propel us and move us, that real prayer is, is something that we must lean into. But the beautiful thing about it is uh, you don't have to be good at it. You don't even have to think you're good at it or pretend you're good at it. Real prayer is actually something we learn. That prayer is a learned habit. And in Jesus' final journey to Jerusalem, uh, he teaches his disciples how to pray by praying. He teaches them how to pray. The result is the Lord's Prayer. If you've been around church at any amount of time, you've most likely seen or heard the Lord's Prayer. What we call the Lord's Prayer is our prayer for praying together. The Lord's Prayer brings us into community. And after showing them what to pray, Jesus then shows them how to pray. And in Luke 11, we find that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Interesting thing about this last line is that there's a renewed sense of teaching where we're passing down this idea of prayer. Just like if you want to teach your kid how to change a tire, you change a tire in front of them, and then the next time they do it, and you watch them, and then they have now learned how to change a tire, and then they go and teach their kids. And generation after generation, in theory, we should learn how and know how to change a tire. That prayer is our opportunity to learn from God and then to pass this skill set on to others, that we learn to pray by praying. Now, what's Kind of a slight to me and, and, and feels like it's worth noting is that the disciples didn't ask Jesus to teach them to preach. There's no mention of, hey, Lord, teach us how to preach. Now, they knew the intention that they were going to have to spread the gospel and, 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 and they, are, they knew the assignment. And you would think preaching would be at the forefront of that. Teach me how to preach. Teach me how to dig into scriptures and, 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 and tell people about Jesus and, 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 and teach me that. But he didn't. Preaching plays a significant role in ministry, but prayer was what was needed to be taught. That you and I, we need to learn how to pray. We should learn the skill set. We should embrace the idea that we don't necessarily always pray with the most uh, efficiency or the most fervency, that it's liberating actually to imagine that prayer is a learned process. It frees us from our preconceived ideas of what we're capable of and incapable of, what we're good at and what we're not good at. It frees us from going, well, that person prays well and that person doesn't pray well, that we all have space to learn and grow. And if you imagine, uh, you know, God does all things in answer to prayer. So how much more important is it that we focus our time on prayer? Now, there's no right or wrong way to pray. So this frees us as well. You can do breath prayers or written prayers or you know, off-the-cuff, from-the-hip prayers. And, 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 and communicating with God is, is, is all praying. And so uh, there's no wrong way to pray. The only wrong way to pray is to fail to pray. To fail to pray is to fail to treat God as holy, to treat God as uh, God. And so to fail to pray is the only wrong way to pray, that we should never make prayer too complicated. I think in an environment like this, it becomes easy for us to go, well, you have to do this and be here and go there and say this and not say that, and yet prayer should never be too complicated. Prayer should be something basic and simple that we can all do, but all grow in and learn. And I want to make one thing clear. We don't always have to have a structure to pray. 
So with breath prayers or written prayers or whatever, you don't always have to have a structure to pray. Last week, I talked about uh, having a bit of a structure so that our prayers are moving and they uh, have some depth to them. And if you weren't here, go back and, and listen and watch and, and take notes with, with that intention. But we don't always have to have a structure when we pray. There's no magic formula for us to unlock uh, you know, some miracle. God desires to meet with us. He desires to know us, and he desires to answer our prayers and, and to commune with us. However, I love the idea that we can all lean into the Lord's Prayer, find the structure and the rhythm, and, and view it as train tracks. And we've, we've, I've preached this before, uh, and, and, and I think the reason I keep coming back to it is I keep forgetting it. I keep forgetting the structure. I keep forgetting the train tracks. I keep forgetting uh, the rhythm that, that we can actually slide into. And so over the next 21 days, I'm inviting you to pray through the Lord's Prayer. With this model and this method, uh, using what we talked about last week to, uh, to deepen our prayer life, and when we pair them together, we find that all of a sudden it's no longer about just simply praying what's on our mind at the time, but we're actually building a structure that helps our prayers be more, uh, uh, a time more fulfilling. And in Matthew, uh, the telling of Jesus' uh, story, uh, Jesus begins in Matthew 6, he begins by warning the disciples about praying in public. He says, don't go out and pray in public like, like, uh, like other people do. They're praying to get attention. They're praying these elaborate prayers to, to gain attention for themselves. He's saying, don't do that. He says, it's actually better for you to go into a closet, shut the door, turn the lights off, and, and, and pray alone. I don't know if he says lights off, but I imagine he would. Pray alone. It's better to do that than to pray all these prayers to try to gain attention. He's saying, you don't have to be this way. So our focus is not on praying more eloquent prayers. It's not on sounding more spiritual. That has its, uh, that doesn't have a, that's an end in itself. It doesn't have any depth. What we want to pray is we want to pray like Jesus teaches us to pray. In Matthew 6, 9, he says, Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Very familiar verse. But I feel like Jesus gave us these sets of words as a key to unlocking the richness of prayer. I feel like if Jesus gave this prayer to his disciples and he says, pray like this, then I feel like if he were here in this moment uh, in person, and, and he would say this to us as well. Pray like this. The first word that Jesus talks about is adoration. Adoration is an essential part of praying. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, adoration is a, a beautiful way that Jesus taught us to start praying. He says, therefore, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. When we pray like this, we're making sure we put God first and foremost. God is holy, and you are not. God is holy, and I am not. And when we open with adoration, we are openly and willingly admitting verbally that God is holy and should be seen as such, and I am not. But what's beautiful about this is a community prayer. This is not just an individual prayer. This is a community prayer. As he starts by saying, our Father, not my Father, our Father. Our Father brings us together. We should treat him as our Father. Now, if you met my dad, 
you would know him as my dad, and it would be a little weird, you know, because you wouldn't know him. It's not like you would hang out with him. Uh, so you would know him as my dad, and, and, and you would move on. You would meet him. Hey, good to meet you. I know your son. And you would move on, right? But if we were siblings, he would be our father. There would be a different connection between you and I and a different connection between dad. When we approach God as our father, it changes the nature of our prayers together. When we pray as a community, we're not praying to your father. You're not praying to my father. But we're praying to our collective dad, which brings us closer together. And God is our father, and he should be addressed as such. And Jesus starts his prayer by honoring God as his father, God Almighty, asking that his name be honored and revered as holy. And we must open our prayers against dishonoring the name of God. Now, most of us, if not all of us in this room, would never intentionally dishonor the name of God. We know better. But often, when we do not place God first, our prayers often end up dishonoring him. When we get the order out of line, we start to feel more important than we are. We start looking at God like Santa, and we go, well, here's a list of things that you should do for me, and we turn it in. And no longer is God holy. We think we're the ones in charge, and he's to meet our needs that our prayers are nothing if they do not honor God. Nothing. And this is not buttering God up so that we can ask for something big. This is not trying to uh, start well so that we can ask big and then he'll, he'll, he'll magically do it for us. This is to set our focus and attention on the magnitude of God. How often do you contemplate the vastness of God? The magnitude of God. I think as we gather weekly and, and we talk about God often, we start to lose the reality that he created heaven and earth, spoke it into existence, created you and I, and that he is a big God. We don't revere his name unless we are captivated by his wonderment. Are you captivated by God's wonderment? That Jesus starts out acknowledging that God is our father and that he must be seen as holy. Second is alignment. We see that Jesus is bringing us into alignment as we honor God and we place him as holy. The second thing we do is we align with the holy God that we are speaking to. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That the most powerful prayer we can pray in our church and for our community is God's will, not my will. If you think about the last time you prayed, did you pray God's will or your will? If you're like me, most of my prayers are what I want. After all, I'm the one who sees the needs, and if I become uh, misaligned from God, then everything that I see is going to be what I want done. And all of a sudden, I'm praying my will, not your will, but the most powerful prayer we can pray is God's will. And this has to come from a place of humility. You're holy, I'm not. Therefore, it has to be your will, not mine. Every time I get my way, I make a mess of things. It's God's way. And if we cannot say your kingdom come from the bottom of our hearts, then we will always pray prayers for our own selfish desires. We will always try to control people in an environment and an attempt to make things the way we believe they ought to be. Yet controlling our lives like this is beyond our ability. It's God's will and God's way. Your kingdom come is total submission. God, it's your way. Not just our will, but also our feelings. God, we're placing this in check. And if we can honestly pray this prayer, God's will, not mine, then whatever comes after that prayer will be placed in check. God, you're holy. It's your will, not mine. Now, everything else after that, all of a sudden, is in alignment with him. 
And then we commit to letting go of our own will. Whenever it conflicts with what we want, we submit to God and what he wants. We live our lives asking the question, what is your will, Lord? If we're going to put God's will above ours, we have to know God's will. What is God's will for our lives? What is God's will for our church, for our community, for our homes, for our children, for our jobs? What is God's will, not my will? And if we look at our prayers, most often our prayers are what we want, not what God desires. And we have to know God, which means we have to get to know God in order to see what he wants. The third thing is petition. I like this part. This is our favorite part. Most of my prayers are all petition prayers. When I go to pray, I say, God, I need this, and I want this, and I hope this happens, and uh, everything is petition. But what Jesus does is he actually places petition third in the list. He's saying we're going to honor God as holy. We're going to place his will before ours. And if we'll do that, then the things that we petition him for will now be in alignment with him. He says, give us each day our daily bread. Once again, we're finding this plural prayer that incorporates all of us. Not give me my daily bread. After all, I would love to have my daily bread, right? And many of us, we would rather have our daily bread over someone else having their daily bread and you not getting daily bread. So this actually takes us out of selfishness and pride. And it says it's not just about me getting what I want. It's about us getting what we need. Our daily bread. See, so often my prayers are what I want and what I need because that's where I'm focused. I'm focused on self. So I can see what I need so it's easier to pray. If we're going to pray as a community and we're going to pray our daily bread, then it's going to force us to start looking at the needs of others as well. All of a sudden we start praying our daily bread because I know what you need. And you know what I need. And we can start celebrating what God's going to do in our community. Once again, though, this plural version, give us Not give me, not give you, but give us our daily bread. This is our opportunity to petition God for our needs, but not just mine, but ours as a community. And when we go to God and we ask, we petition that he meet our needs. We're able to see him in real time. And sometimes we use prayer as an attempt to change our circumstances right? Many times my daily need is to not suffer. Mine's not to be sick. Mine's not to go through pain or heartache or trouble. And a lot of us use God as a way to escape suffering. But God, through the power of prayer, wants to help reframe our circumstances. It's not that he eliminates them or removes them from our lives when they're not positive, but that we begin to see him at work in the midst of whatever situation we find ourselves in. See, if we're going to say God's will, not mine, then whatever happens after that, we have to trust that God is good and he's working through it. So you might wake up and pray, God's will, not mine, and get in a car accident. Well, God didn't cause it, but it happened. How's he gonna work in it? Your need now has been reframed because we know it's God's will, not your will. So what do we need? How do we invite God into our situation and begin to see him work in our communities and our lives? We have to guard against selfish motives and short-sightedness. And in Proverbs 30, verse seven, it says, two things I ask of you, Don't deny them before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food that I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of God. How many of us, don't admit it, but how many of us would say that we have too much or so much that we no longer need God in our lives? 
Now, very few of us, maybe some of us, may have too little and consider profaning the name of God, but the vast majority of us have an abundance and we no longer need God. Our daily bread is our opportunity to say, God, right here, right now is what I need, step by step. And if we have abundance, then we have a responsibility to help other people. That many times we pray things that we want God to do when God is saying, you're the one that should do it. So we'll say, I want to pray for your financial well-being. Well, maybe you've got to spend less and maybe someone else needs to, needs to give you a little bit, right? There are things that are placed in front of us. Some things are ours to do and some things are God's to do and we have to know the difference. But our daily bread puts us in the lives of others. We are now immersed in one another's lives that asking for our needs to be met is not just for me to have my needs met, but there must be just social order. There must be uh, economic equality. There must be uh, prosperity in our community. There's so much more than just me having what I need. The fourth thing is forgiveness. It says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone in debt to us. Again, this is not my sins. This is our sins. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtor. All of a sudden, we're aware that we need our debts forgiven, our sins forgiven. But the pathway to see that transpire is that we have to forgive others. Now you and I need one another. I need you because I need my sins forgiven. So I've got to forgive you, and if I'll forgive you, then God will be quick to forgive me. Confession is less about listing a lot of mistakes, and it's more just about admitting that we're not perfect people, that we're all sinners in thought, word, deed, and action. None of us are perfect in this room, and if I can forgive you, then God will be quick to forgive me. And, and in Matthew 6, it says, for if we forgive people their wrongdoings, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But look at the latter part. If you don't forgive, your father will not forgive your wrongdoings. All of a sudden, whether you like it or not, you just walked into this space, I'm just going to attend church. You're in the middle of something now. You're linked to one another. You're watching online casually. Listen up. You are now linked to us. We need each other. If we need forgiveness, we have to forgive and we have to walk in open forgiveness. So for harboring bitterness or malice or anger towards one another, we have to let it go so that God will forgive us. And that's the beautiful thing about communal prayer is that we're wrapped in this life together. We shouldn't just confess sins that we feel guilty for. Right? Because the nature of sin is the longer we're immersed in it, the less guilt we feel for it, which is why people end up falling into uh, crazy things they never thought they could do. We don't just confess when we feel guilty, but we confess on a regular basis because even the good things we do in our lives sometimes are done for the wrong reasons. God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Thought, word, deed, and action. But the most interesting part of this prayer is our link and our relationship to one another. That if we can't see our sin, ask forgiveness, then we'll be unable to forgive others. If we can't admit that we're sinners, then we'll never forgive others. We'll never see the need for forgiveness ourselves. And the link between you and I is so strong, which is why we need to be praying together daily because we need one another. The fifth thing is guidance. Jesus walks us into guidance. He says, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Once again, he's saying, do not bring us into temptation. Not me. I don't want to be tempted. Don't bring us into temptation, this is a petition to seek help and guidance from making further mistakes. Diving deeper into sin. You ever made one bad choice and it led to other bad choices? 
You lie one time, you got to lie to get out of that lie, to get out of that lie, and now you're a liar. A lot of us fall into sin, whether it's small, large, whatever you would categorize it as. And if we don't uh, get help, if we don't fall in community and help guide one another, then we'll fall deeper into sin. Do not bring us, the collective community, into temptation. The prayer is not that we should be tempted, but that we should not be brought into temptation. The Bible tells uh, about suffering and difficulty as a way to gain greater dependence on God. We see through Job and many others where they are tempted as a way to grow in their faith. So there's temptation has its place. God doesn't lead us into temptation, though. And we know this from James. It says, James 1, no one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. He doesn't use temptation. Temptation is a part of natural life, fallen world. And to enter into temptation is to consider the prospects of sin. All sin starts with a thought. That thought leads to an action. That action leads to a habit and a lifestyle and on and on. And if we can stop it at the thought, then we can head it off, preventing further problems to help us uh, have pure motives and, and our eyes fixed on Christ. We must consistently pray for guidance and wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Lead us not into temptation. So when we pray, we pray with adoration we pray with alignment. We pray petitioning God. We pray for forgiveness, and we pray for guidance. And all of a sudden, we see that our prayer now is leading us somewhere. It starts with honoring God, and, and it moves us into alignment with his will and, and asking for the things that he desires for us to have, and, and then forgiveness of the sins that we've committed, and then guidance as we continue to navigate uh, life moving forward. And it turns our prayers into something more than just whatever's on our mind at the moment. Again, whatever's on your mind at the moment is not a bad prayer, but this moves us into the richness of prayer, that prayer no longer becomes stale for us. I think when I pray just whatever's on my mind all the time, it becomes stale. I need prayer books, and I need breath prayers, and I need structure sometimes because it moves me out of uh, stagnation, and that's what I want for us this morning. And so here's how uh, I want to end. I want to end by giving us an opportunity once again today to pray. You don't have to pray through the scriptures or you could pray through the scriptures. uh, But I'm inviting, you know, again, there's a a microphone. If somebody would like to pray audibly, Taylor's going to come and lead us and Terry's going to come. And uh, we're going to uh, open up an opportunity for us to pray together as a community And uh, we're going to use this as an opportunity for us to gather to practice what we preach. Now, nobody has to pray up front, and we'll create space. But what I want us to do is uh, I want all of us to be praying at some capacity in this space. And so uh, for the next 60 seconds, uh, I'd like for us to uh, work together in this room to petition God, to adore him, to uh, seek forgiveness and and guidance. And so uh, if you would go ahead and let's bow our heads and close our eyes across the room. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that you're holy and we're not. You are good. We ask that your kingdom come, your will be done. So God, this morning, may we make sure that We're focused on you. It's your will, your way. Father, we thank you that you invite us into the richness of prayer through the context of the Lord's Prayer. So today we just submit this time to you to work through us and to move through us. So teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. 
In Jesus' name.